It is a truth universally acknowledged that a single man in possession of a modest fortune must be in want of a podcast. So it is that I, Mark Decano, have this podcast, Comedy in a Nutshell, and take great joy in talking to comedians, then must learn to be content with being happier than I deserve. My guest on this episode is a stunningly clever and honest comedian who has received critical acclaim for both his shows and his podcasts, of which Daily Notes recently hit half a million downloads. He's been nominated for multiple awards and received Best Stand-Up at this year's Brighton Fringe, who described him as one of the funniest comedians in the game. Stand-Up comedian, Nathan Cassidy. Hey, man. Hello, how are you doing? I'm all right. Sorry, I'm late. It's all right. Straight away, I want to say you are very versatile. You've got your CV, you've got actor, playwright, as well as comedian, podcaster, and of course, you've got a psychology degree. I mean, where do you see yourself? Um comedian yeah i'm interested in all the other things but uh comedian is uh is how i see myself pure mm. and simple yeah so i do do other stuff but um yeah yeah i guess um i guess you can only be a comedian some of the time you can only be a comedian usually in the evening and um <laughs> some 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 daytime gigs but how do you feel your days yeah. well obviously i'm writing stand up but also i'm doing yeah, other yeah. stuff like podcasts and bits of theatre. And um, yeah, I've been watching mm-hmm. some stuff recently and thinking, yeah, maybe I want to do more acting. I've got an acting agent and stuff, and um, she gets yeah. me one or two things. But uh, maybe I want to do something proper, like some theatre or stuff. Actually, i tell you what, why I've had that thought. I've been seeing yeah. my, my um, kids' school shows. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I, I saw my uh, son's, he was doing Made in Dagenham at his school yesterday. And yeah. it was amazing. It was just like <laughs> this is what I love about this. Is, I, I, my first things were in musical theatre, so I was just like I miss musical theatre. Why don't I? Yeah. You know, like um, you know, comedians do musical theatre. So um, yeah, I'm putting it out there right now. I want to do some musical theatre. Okay, <laughs> fantastic. <laughs> How did comedy come to be such an important part of your life? How did it become your focus? Um, well, I. I don't know. I mean, psychologically, I think I looked into this in my last show, Bumblebee, about certain things that happened to me as a kid. Yeah. You know, so there's a bigger question why I think you want to be a comedian um, later on. Like, kind of a. Yeah. I talk about it in my podcast, Psychomedy. You mm-hmm. know, kind of what makes a um, like a pure, true comedian someone that just wants to do comedy like me. And I think their psychology is different to other people. And they've got things going on in their background where, I mean, for me, I always said on Psychomedy that it was um, it was associating being laughed at uh, with being loved. So if I was if people were laughing at me they were they were loving me so that's the right. deep psychological reason why i'm a comedian and why i'm a comedian kind of in in other ways is that it's it's the purest form of getting your art out there so yeah i started in playwriting when i was mm-hmm. at university and there's always other people involved and that can go well and it can go badly so stand-up is the purest form of getting your writing out there connecting with the audience with no interference Um, and you can literally do it with no interference you can do it with interference with agents with writers with pr and Mm -hmm. i have 
agents and people like that, but they don't interfere. And so everything that I say is purely me and unfiltered by anyone else. And that is a huge thrill to do. Yeah. Yeah. But from that psychological perspective, do you see when comedians go into dramatic roles, is that do you see that as a sort of an idea that you might find where you've been laughed at for long enough and want to be taken seriously and move into a drama? Do you think that's a, something down the line for you? I think that, uh, yeah, that, possibly. I think there are there are many reasons why you'd want to switch. I was just watching the Bill Burr Netflix uh, special, and he does do acting, but I don't know him and I haven't asked him, but uh, I get a sense <laughs> from him if he could just do stand-up all the time, he'd be yeah. happy, you know. But again, you can only do stand-up so much and he's filling his time sure. with other things. And also, it's money for him. Um, so there's many reasons why you'd want to do other stuff. But no, if I could just do stand-up for my whole yeah. career and yeah. carry on making my living from stand-up, I'd be very, very happy. So yeah. other things, so mentioning theatre, it would just be kind of like a bit of frivolity, in the right. yeah, I certainly don't want to be taken seriously. There are lots of serious things in my in my stand up. So yes, um, you know, theatre is a is a mask. You know, it's stand up is uh, it's you totally totally unmasked, and that's the that's the real joy of it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you said there um, there's drama in your comedy, and uh, that's true. And do you think that your on stage persona reflects your true persona are you is it a character for you that you're in, uh, engaging with no it's uh it's not a character at all it's um yeah. it's absolutely me but as i say to people that know me it's like particularly when i'm talking about, about them whether it's yeah. a partner or a friend i'm like be aware that while it's based in truth i have to make it funny and yeah. like as i say in observational the show you've seen Life mm -hmm. isn't hilarious uh, often, so you have to slightly tweak it. So yeah. I was I was talking to I was talking to a mate of mine and said because uh, he was talking about my podcast Daily Notes and I said, well, I've done like five hundred episodes now, so eventually you get round a lot of the stories in your life. And he said, well, have you talked about me? And I said, well, yeah, I have actually told one story <laughs> about you. And he said, oh, what have you said about me? And I said, well, be aware. That it's based in truth, yeah. <laughs> but the punchline or the funny bit is not what I feel. It's yeah. um, it's based in a truth, and he's like, "Oh no, tell me what it is." And I said to him, "But <laughs> tell me that you won't have a problem if I tell you what it is. Tell me that you recognise what I'm saying. That it's a joke. It's 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 only based in truth. It's not what I truly believe." And he says, "Yeah, yeah, tell me." I told him what he said. And he's like, oh, do you really think that? I'm like, <laughs> oh, you're not understanding what I'm saying. <laughs> so it is me. It's, of course, me speaking now. You can probably recognize me as my onstage persona. This is me. This is how I am. But um, when I'm going around my normal life, it's uh, I'm not, as Darren Walsh is, by the way, trying to be funny all the time and uh, <laughs> looking, looking for jokes all the time. What's the style of comedy that you think is is at the heart of it? And what made you decide that was your path? Well, I started with a very different style. And I think people do. And I work with, you know, I've, I've worked with younger comedians uh, or newer comedians over the over the years. And mm. um, I always 
I I kind of say that I tell them the story of how I started in a, a very different style because they're worried it's not going right. Right. And a lot of comedians get where I got to eventually, which is chipping away at all the things that you're pretending to be and right. now be who the truth of you. I think you can go one or two ways in comedy. You can either hide the truth completely and do, do you know, puns. I was talking to Darren Walsh the other day, a good friend mm-hmm. of mine, and um, I was laughing with him about he should stop his puns halfway through his set and just say, let me be honest with you guys. This is how I'm feeling right now. And it would be so funny, you know, to take the mask away or for like Harry Hill to go, all right, enough of the character. I'm obviously, I don't, you know, I'm not this happy. I'm not this uh, weird. Um, This is the real me. But you can't do that. So you got, you got to do one thing or the other. And a lot of people fall between the stools. So a lot of people I, I work with, they fall in between the stools of who are you? And as an audience member, you're like, oh, there was a joke. And now there's a, what's going on? Are you a character? Are you not? So, um, Mm. I can't, I can't. Uh, I can't remember the original question because I'm, <laughs> I'm I'm too unwell. As you know, I've had a I've had a UTI for the last three days, and uh, my mom always yeah. said they were bad. I never believed her, and now I believe her. <laughs> <laughs> Apologies. What was the original question? There, uh, it's talking about um, your finding your comedy style. Okay, yeah. So I was very, yeah, very different when I started, very improvised. I just didn't have anything to say. So I started a long time ago, did a couple of years, was making some good progress, had some good agents uh, interested, making some money. But Mm -hmm. I ran out of things to say. So I could have either carried on making things up or I thought I'd need to go away, live a life and then come back when I have enough things to say. So I went away for like 10 years uh, around the world and uh, doing various things and mm. obviously gaining life experience. And a lot of, uh, no, some comedians, I wouldn't say a lot, some comedians can do it when they're 20, 21, 22, can really, you know, Daniel Kitson is, a, is, is, is mm-hmm. you know, the best example there. Um but um, a lot of comedians can't, and they really find their feet when they're 35, um, mm. when they've lived a little bit, and that, that's when they're real connecting with the, with the audience, when they have something to say. So I just wanted to, um, I just wanted to be myself on stage, and as I say to some of the comedians I'm working with, that is very much mm. the easiest thing to be, because yeah. then you're not having to generate ideas and material, it's what you're thinking or it's mm. a um, a skewed view of what you're thinking rather than let's make 100% of things up. You know, mm. I do admire these people that are just making up jokes and because they have to start with literally a blank page, at least with, you know, the style of my comedy and people like whatever, Bill Burr or, you know, mm-hmm. they are, um, Bill Burr's in my head because I've just been watching him. You know, <laughs> uh, I'm sure... Most of uh, you know uh, a lot of the, most of the things are skewed, uh, but you. Yeah. But most of the things, if not all of the things, I'd imagine, like me, they come from a sense of uh, a basis in reality. Yeah. Yeah. So in that respect, do you, when you're considering what a show is going to finally come out like, are you thinking about the jokes first, the humour first, or the the whole story, the entirety, the message you want to put across? Yeah, it's always it's always the story, always the story first. Um, it always it always has been. I think um, there's been a sea change in the last kind of three three or four years, where 
I've thought, this is a story I want to get across, and is it ultimately uplifting? Mm. Um, I want the stories to be uplifting. But if I have a story that I think that's ultimately, I can make that uplifting. So not just funny, uplifting. Yeah. If there's a story like that, that I can hang all the threads around, then yeah, I'll start with the story. And yeah. again, it makes it a lot easier. I say this with some of the comedians I'm working with. It's um, it's like having a um, a jigsaw puzzle. And if you've got the story at the yeah. start of the year that you're writing it, so I try and do a I do do a new show every year. So at the start of the year, you've got a you know a jigsaw puzzle picture of yeah. um, what you want to complete. Then it allows you to put those things in a lot easier and if you come up with a joke that doesn't fit into it well that just goes into your set um yeah so um so yeah i always uh, pretty much always start with the with the story so i've had the idea for my 2023 show already mm. and kind of the story and how it yeah. turns out will always surprise you and sometimes you can get something in the middle of it that will totally throw it in a different direction um, and yeah. change it. But uh, starting with the story makes it easier, yeah, absolutely. Okay. So uh, as you're going through your career, how do you measure success or failure? Um, success for me has always been, do the audience think it's good? Um, and if the audience thinks it's great, and give me that feedback through... I mean, that's the beauty of comedy, that you always know yeah. when it's good and uh, you know when it's great. And if you can get your happiness in your career from that, then yeah. you're laughing. Uh, just like the audience, you're laughing. <laughs> I see a lot of people moaning about where they are in their career, moaning about the unfairness of the industry. And mm. sadly, it's unfair. And you won't get the success that you maybe think that you uh, you deserve. You need to you need to get your happiness from the success of you performing on stage. And out of that success, of course, if the audience laugh, then you get money. You know, you'll get money. And um, yeah. if you make them laugh enough, then you'll always pretty much get enough money to. Yeah, yeah. Maybe I take that back in terms of living on. Like uh, in London, you can be quite a successful comedian and still not be able to really afford. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you, 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 you'll get enough to kind of get by. So that is, you know, success. Russell Howard always, always. I always remember something Russell Howard said when he was playing the university circuit and doing kind of big universities, and, and uh, someone said to him, "When do you think you're going to make it?" And he says, "I already have made it. I'm making my living from stand-up. So I've certainly made it yeah. in terms of that. When I was a kid, I wanted to make my money through comedy, make my living through comedy. That's what I've been doing. That's what I've been doing for many years now. So that is success, and anything else yeah. is a." bonus um do i want my specials my amazon or my um as i've just been watching bill burr to be as successful as bill mm -hmm. burr well of course absolutely yeah. but i don't want to compromise to get that success i don't want to go down routes that some people have gone down and some routes that the industry take you down to get that success so yeah. if it if nothing ever happens apart from what's happening now which is good shows and good gigs and money coming in through that and podcasts and whatever, that I'm, mm -hmm. I'm absolutely delighted. And I think that's um, a big success, um, particularly yeah. Yeah, with my upbringing of no money <laughs> and no contacts. Yeah. 
yeah when you don't have an audience so like when you're doing your your daily notes podcast like comedy podcast those don't have a direct hmm. line of feedback that you get when you're on stage yeah. so do you measure measure your success on those in a different way or just from the person you're speaking to directly in that instance how do you see yourself in that well daily notes is just me talking down the barrel um yeah. into a microphone and playing the piano but i only yes. started that of course after 72 years of doing comedy so i know what's good and what's funny because i can base it on 10 years of um yeah of uh, of experience but yeah the success ultimately with podcasts i mean i guess you might keep doing it um but i've got two kids and i don't have the time so i wouldn't be able to do it if i don't if i didn't make money from it so ultimately i think with podcasting it's mm. making money so i'm making some half decent money now from uh, the podcast it's been quite successful um mm -hmm. all over the world and uh, it's with audio boom now which is one of the biggest uh, podcast um producers and um so yeah, I really, really enjoy it, but um, I probably wouldn't be doing it if it wasn't making me money because uh, right. I only I only have a certain amount of hours in the day, and I have to make a certain amount of uh, a certain amount of money. So if I didn't do that, I'd be uh, putting my time into something else. Yeah, yeah. So success with that is purely, at the, yeah. I'd say I'd Just, say the I'd say the numbers. It's nice when somebody feeds back and says, um, "Yeah, it's uh, good." But I think uh, you know when the listeners are going up as they do, then the word is getting around, and yeah. um, um, so they they have been really uh, really good numbers. Yeah, good. So you talked about the comedy industry, though. I mean, have have you found that the comedy industry as a whole is, in your eyes, better or worse than it was when you started out? And and how would you account for what what better means in that? respect i didn't really think about the comedy industry when i when i first started out people okay a new comedian came up to me the other day and said um oh i love comedy it's so supportive isn't it you know everyone supports <laughs> each other and i couldn't help laughing because i thought do i want to burst the bubble of um <laughs> uh, and tell him what it's like 10 years when you're a professional comedian everyone's like dog eat dog and there's various other things going on in the black arts of comedy. Because, of course, when you first start, you don't think mm. about these things. You just think about, oh, my God, this is amazing. I'm, And all your peers are very supportive of you because they're all doing it themselves and no one's earning any yeah. money. So the, at the start, I never, uh, never thought about the industry. And now kind of knowing what the industry is and understanding the industry... Mm. Again, it's like I totally understand why people moan about it and why moan uh, they they have an issue with you know the big agents, the big PRs doing certain things, the Edinburgh Fringe doing certain things. There's a lot of people moaning about that right now, yeah. And I really do respect, particularly the ones that are persistent, and it is of course probably ultimately probably to the uh, maybe to the detriment of their career possibly but you mm. see with people like um, um i don't know there's many i mean daniel kitson again you uh, mm -hmm. yeah maybe like uh, well, certainly adam rowe and you you know you can go outside of the industry make your own thing and most of the successful yeah. comedians go slightly outside of the industry then maybe come back in um mm. so you don't um you don't particularly well you, you definitely don't need the industry in adverted commerce to yeah. be a, a great success in comedy but um so i have a lot of um i have a lot of respect for the people that are 
challenging the way things are. But ultimately, there's two things with that. One, I don't feel like I have the time to fight against the things that I think are unfair. And um, that's... uh, you know, that's only because I have two kids and I have I've got mm. to make my living from stand up. Um, but mm. that's maybe a bit of an excuse. I think the truth is that I would see it as ultimately a losing battle uh, that some of these people mm. are fighting. Like they're fighting the Edinburgh Fringe. They're saying, why, why, yeah. why are you taking so much money and not giving it to performers? That's the way it is. And I, yeah. me personally, I, uh, this is why I respect them so much because I give up that battle. I would right. give up that battle and go, why is it the way it is? Because people like money, you right. know, and when you've got money and lots of money, you probably won't want to give it all away. You know, money, <laughs> people love money. Money makes things easier. And do you want to share it around to all the struggling performers? Well, maybe you'll share a little bit, but you won't share, you know, all of it. <laughs> and ultimately, if I'm being honest with myself, I just think you are fighting a losing battle. And of course, that is an absolute cop out because through mm. history, there has been people that have fought and fought and fought. And if you fight and fight and fight, you can absolutely make a difference. So I'm not saying stop. I'm just saying for me, um, you know, and this goes slightly against the thrust of my new show, Hot Tub God, which is what can we do about Mm. the state of the world? Uh, But again, it doesn't because without giving too much away, the big battles, can they be won? Mm -hmm. The small, what we can do in a small way, sometimes what we ignore So in a small way, if we can recognize there are issues with the industry and if you're starting gigs while you're paying people properly or you're being nice to people, and that's what it comes down to ultimately, are you being generally a nice person? You know, because a lot of people in the industry mentioning all their names right now, Mark, on your podcast. Here's the list. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of people are not very nice. There's the exclusive for you. So if you can, if you can see that and recognize that, I'm not saying any of the people I've mentioned, like the Edinburgh Fringe or whatever, I'm sure they're, a lot of them are nice people, but just some of them love money. And why not? (laughs) Um, But if you can recognize the people that you see in the industry are not so nice, not so, um, just not such a good person you know because you can still love money and be a good Mm. person and be nice to people around you and be supportive and uh maybe not give them all the opportunities but at least not be a (laughs) c-u-n-t fair point (laughs) so let me ask you then about rat pack comedy at the camden comedy club yeah i mean it's a well-known club but it is a small room yeah do you see that as a as an opportunity for is it about getting ready for bigger shows or it's just a small new comedians opportunity to take five minutes ten minutes as well as doing um larger comedians doing their previews do you are you an advocate for small and upcoming uh new comics on the scene and for like com- competitions and gong shows and things like that um well there's a few questions there so yes. you know uh so the the Camden Comedy Club, yeah, that that's sixty people. And of course, there are there are bigger clubs, but um, mm. it, it is it is a great club on every night of the week. And yeah. if you get well, you can get seventy people in there, 
And yep. um, a small club, you know, like that, where everyone's on top of you, they can be the the best comedy clubs. And that's why all the best comedians want to do that club. Uh, you mentioned the Rat yep. Pack. We've had, you know, we've had Paul Tonkinson down there recently um, who, you know, supports McIntyre and plays mm-hmm. enormous venues. But comedians and true pure comedians always want to do clubs like the Camden Comedy Club. And... Yep. Um, Paul Tonkinson came along and was like, oh, my God, this is a great club. And sometimes you forget when you get a bit bigger, when you're playing these bigger, you know, like yeah. him, arenas with McIntyre. You just think, oh, my God, the joy of the joy of these type of clubs. So absolutely, yeah. there is a, um, you know, there are bigger clubs, obviously, um, but mm-hmm. there are a lot smaller clubs as well. And so what makes a club good is not necessarily how big it is, um, yeah. although financially, it obviously helps when it's a little bit bigger than 50, but I think 70 makes it possible for you to be able to pay everyone okay money. Um, But obviously 100, 150, then you can pay people proper money. And uh, obviously somewhere like the store is, you know, like the ultimate club, the London Comedy Store, Um, because it's very intimate, but there's a lot of people there. Um, Mm -hmm. But in terms of supporting... Uh, new acts and uh, new and competitions and stuff. Well, to mm. link to link the two things, yeah. you won't see many new acts on at the Camden Comedy Club because even though it's relatively small, kind of seventy mm-hmm. people, it's quite a big jump, particularly on a weekend. That a lot, a lot of comedians come in the industry and think, oh, "We're ready to go. We can do this." And if you yeah. throw them in in front of 60, 70 people, they actually find they can't. And it's no good for the audience. It's no good for the comedian. They think, oh, my God, I'm not very good at comedy. Well, of course, you're not very good at comedy. You've only been doing it two or three years. Again, there's only one <laughs> or two exceptions. Yeah. You know, people that are actually really good in their first couple of years. Take your time. And I know it's hard because if you're not doing any other job, then you're really desperate to progress. But you can only progress. The um, history has shown us that five, ten years is when you're five to ten years is when you're starting to really get good at comedy and when you can start playing those weekend gigs. But yeah, yeah. absolutely, those uh, a supportive open mic circuit that is yep. not charging people to play a, a supportive competition scene. As long as people recognise that competitions don't matter at all. Um, mm-hmm. They matter if you win, but you're not going to win. It's like the lottery. Right. You're not going to win. <laughs> and the winners of these competitions will be like, oh, no, you can win. You can't win. It's impossible <laughs> to win. You can't win. So why are you being upset that you haven't won? You're not going to win. It's impossible to win. So it's just another gig. I said this to a comedian the other day who was, you know, having a hard time online saying, oh, I didn't get through to the quarter fight, you know, didn't even get through to the heats. And that must right. be such a body blow. I'm like, can you imagine the people clicking through these 10 minute sets? Are they really giving them huge consideration going, am I balancing? No, they've got two, uh, they've got two kids. They've got a UTI just like me. <laughs> Don't sweat it. You know when you're good at comedy because the audience's consistency laugh. Um, that's when you're good. You don't need any competition. You don't need any agent. You don't need anyone else. That's when you're good. So, absolutely, there there is some um, there there are some bad new act uh, nights, and there are some bad competitions that are corrupt and. Mm. Um, um, but uh, people will navigate themselves around that and um yeah yeah so it's um yeah it's absolutely fine 
Well, you're, um, you've received multiple awards and more nominations. Do you see winning an award in, the, in a similar light or are they on a grander stage? What, what acclaim do they accord, do you think? <laughs> well, of course, Mark, they are <laughs> absolutely important. And the only thing that matter is winning and being nominated for awards. <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, but there's a there's an element of truth in that for me. Um, yeah. I um, of course it's nice to to win and be nominated um, for awards. Um, you know, it's it's you just get a sense of particularly some festivals like Edinburgh and Leicester and. Um, They've seen all the shows. That 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 that's when it you know Buxton. They've seen mm. all the shows. You know, a panel of people have seen all the shows, and you can't help but feel good that they've recognised you as yeah. um, as one of one of the best. But ultimately, when I haven't been nominated and other people don't get nominated, again, you know, it, it doesn't feel like oh, I feel like that show was bad or whatever because you can just have a bad day. Or you can just, you know, it's really, you know, like certainly the Leicester Comedy Festival, you've got a panel of, what, I think 20 people seeing shows and then they have to turn up in the panel room and you have to convince someone that hasn't seen the show that the show you've seen is better than the show that they've (laughs) seen. It's impossible. (laughs) So to get through that, which I was lucky enough to do that in 2020 when I was nominated there, is a miracle really and so as it's a miracle i'm always i'm always very very grateful but um yeah the awards and the nominations have have, have certainly um certainly come through in the last 3 or 4 years but i think that's just a um you know a uh, uh a sign that after 10 years or more of doing comedy as i say finally you're starting mm-hmm. to to get it right but without yeah. the awards and the nominations, it would still be the same. I don't think that the awards and nominations has progressed anything particularly. And I think even right. if you win the Edinburgh Comedy Award now, in fact, I know. <laughs> and if we can think of one or two recent examples of people winning the Edinburgh Comedy Award, has their career particularly shut up? And people, that, uh, particularly people being nominated, mm. um, nominated or win, it doesn't change your career at all. You change yeah. your career, uh, hopefully, in the way um, you know you want to change it. Um, yeah. Not necessarily based on awards, and obviously, it's luck, it's agents, it's um, it's opportunities falling in your lap. It's not awards. Yeah. Awards, I think, is a nice. I also I always take awards as a recognition of the writing, which it always comes back to the writing for me, and mm. the. Um, but truly, you know, like what you said to me after watching Observational, mm-hmm. that absolutely means as much to me as an award because, again, you've seen a lot of comedy. Yes. And if someone comes up to me and they've only seen one comedy show and they go, oh, my God, that was amazing. I don't know how you do that. It's absolutely <laughs> incredible. I really like that, but I won't find it as um, thrilling as when someone like you say to me, whatever you said to me. I don't want to repeat it unless you want to, but yeah. <laughs> I don't remember exactly what I said, but I know that I've, I, I know I have said to you, if not at the time, then certainly when I saw you in the Museum of Comedy, that mm. I thought it was one of the best shows that I've seen. 
Yeah, well, that's it. And you've seen a lot of shows, so it's yeah. that means a lot. And that's where awards and nominations come from. These guys have seen a lot of shows, and they consider mm. you to be uh, one of the best. So it's... Um, yeah, it gets to the it gets to the core of why I'm doing it. I'm not doing it for more money than I have. I'm not doing mm. it for more success than I have. I'm probably going then back to that psychology of oh, you love what I do. That's mm. re- that really makes me feel good, and yeah. um, and uh, it doesn't make me particularly high. And as the bad gigs or not being nominated or not winning awards make me too low. Yeah. It just gives me that nice feeling inside that what I'm doing ultimately is uh, people are enjoying. And if mm-hmm. they're being uplifted and if they're being moved, then that's what I'm all about. Yeah. Yeah. So that's so observational that we were talking about there. That uh, I think I'm right in saying that that was the only live show in 2020's Edinburgh Fringe. Is that correct? Yeah, it was just 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 through chance, really. I mean, I'm also I'm also got my eye out for opportunities. I mean, people often associate me with little gimmicks and stuff, but I've always said that <laughs> I never I never plan. I never January am planning my Edinburgh gimmick, and I certainly there's not one this year. <laughs> although one or two things you might see around Edinburgh, I think, oh, there's Nathan Casty again doing something. But yeah, you know, I just don't. You know, I never plan it. I'm not. Um, you know, my show's called Hot Tub God. Don't expect me to be in a hot tub on um, on the Royal Mile in my pants (laughs) um but you never know because if someone offers it me well why not let's do it let's keep that credibility um (laughs) so um again mark what was the question again i've got a uti Um, (laughs) um, uh, only show at the fringe 2020 yes so it was just by chance i was on holiday in um in the lake district which is not a million miles away from Edinburgh. it's like an hour's train away i was up by the lakes there mm-hmm. and um i just saw uh, something in the press that nicholas sturgeon was going to possibly allow outdoor performances and i think it was about the 23rd of august so towards the end of the fringe right uh, no it was, yeah, it was maybe a bit earlier than that maybe 19th 20th um and um so i phoned up alex petty and i said there's an opportunity here. if this keeps if she keeps to that date, she she was only going to release it like two days before that it's to go. Can right. we do it? And he's obviously incredibly supportive of getting things on. And uh, so were the three sisters where I ultimately did it. And he mm-hmm. said, well, yeah, let's do it. And so everyone was supportive, both Alex, who's brilliant, and the, uh, the three sisters who are brilliant. Mm-hmm. And uh, they just got it on. And, um, and the comedy press, finally, with no PR. I've never had PR, but you don't need PR if you're the only show at the Fringe. Finally, there's <laughs> there's Chortle, there's the Times. Um, there's, um, who else was there? The, uh, Bruce Dessa was there and um, someone I'm forgetting. Chortle and, um, yeah. Uh, the yeah. Scotsman, Kate Copstick was there. Copstick, yeah. And, um, and, um, and yeah, it was uh, great, but really no, um, no huge planning. I was there in the Lake District. Uh, I left my kids... Um, with family for a couple of hours I zipped up, I did it I got loads and loads of press from it um, and uh, I just came back and um, yeah, what a, what a fun thing to do and what a fun show to have ready observational, which is kind of like because mm. we hadn't done comedy for a while I just thought, well I've got that in the bag I know yeah. it's good, because ultimately it would have been awful if I'd gone up <laughs> with a terrible show because I know Copstick, I know Desso and I know Chortle and as nice as they are if the show's shit they would have said well it was the only show on the fringe but I have to say it was shit you know they would have done that 
<laughs> They're all nice people in the industry, but they have a job to do, and credit to them. <laughs> Excellent. Um, so you followed that up with uh, Bumblebee, which, as you mentioned, is now um, available on Amazon Prime. Hmm. And then your new show that you've mentioned as well, Hot Top God, you're hmm. taking Observation and Hot Top God up to this year's festival. You're doing two shows. And then Brighton, you did all three. Um, yes, do you find yourself in yeah it's a lot do you find <laughs> when you're doing three shows so readily and, and so immediately upon one another do you find it is it overwhelming or are they so ingrained as single individual units in you that you just do them without much attention yeah i did before before amazon um stuck it up there i did mm. contemplate earlier in the year doing all three shows and thank god right. <laughs> Thank God Amazon put it up there and, you know, thought, well, I don't want to do that show because I did them in Brighton. I mm. always think I can do three shows a day in Edinburgh because you think, well, I can do a compilation show and I can do a main show and I can do a couple of, then I can do someone else's hour show. But actually doing three of your own shows mm. um, in Brighton, sometimes I'd be walking onto the stage, I'd turn to the audience, what show is this? And it would be in my <laughs> head and it's only when... And sometimes, even in the first sentence, I'm like, have I started this for the right show? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm so glad it's only it's only two shows. But yeah, I think I think only mm. doing one show a day, I think, would be too little for me. Um, right. Two shows, maybe. Yeah, I mean, two shows is the maximum. Two hour shows. You can do little compilation shows. Mm. But Edinburgh, you know, I've started to get the Edinburgh kind of... I never get stressed out by comedy, but I've started to have the little Edinburgh dreams and stuff. I'm like, what is it? I gig every day. I gig, you know, I do shows in all these different festivals. What is it yeah. about Edinburgh? And may, maybe it's because I try and avoid social media, but maybe it's because every time I go on social media to do something, someone is stressing about Edinburgh. Someone, even though it's, what is it? The, <laughs> in in uh, just before Edinburgh, someone is saying, oh, hive mind. Has anyone got any ideas about uh, ideas for jokes for the Edinburgh Fringe. I'm like, oh god, it's so stressful. I'm like, it's not really. It's just turning up and doing your show, just like we do every other day of the year, just in a different city. And of course, the money makes it stressful, and I totally yeah. understand why it's stressful. But it shouldn't be as stressful as we make it out to be. <laughs> it's uh, who yeah. was it that was saying? Yeah, we should all be Ben Stokes. Shouldn't we? The way he's uh, <laughs> acting about cricket. It's an absolute privilege <laughs> to do the show every day. And I've been stressed yeah. out um, with Edinburgh, absolutely. But I'm in a totally different mindset over the last four years. It's like, it's an absolute privilege. And if, um, if um, you know, if there's one or two things going wrong with the show, who yeah. cares? It's what yeah. a privilege to do this rather than do some of the things that some people have to do in August or in every month of the year, yeah. Yeah. And um, with Hot Top God, you also have what is a, an accompanying book. Would that be fair to say? The um, Believing in God, you've written the, the, the novel. Would you say that was an accompaniment? It is a kind of accompaniment. Um, but I, I've also written um, a book called Resurrection by Boris Johnson, which yep. I guess is an accompaniment in a way as well, because I do talk about the state of the world. Yes. In in Hot Tub God. So they're both accompaniments. And because Hot Tub God is slightly thicker, I've actually taken <laughs> around more of Resurrection. I'm trying to flog Resurrection at the end of... Um, and also, I think Hot Tub God, it's a novel. It's, yeah. um, it's, the, it's one of... I don't know. It gets a bit strange. 
Um, <laughs> <laughs> and even my dad was like, oh, I'm glad you said that because, yeah. Um, whereas I think Resurrection, I can give to an audience member and I can guarantee they may hate it, but they won't not understand it or they won't yeah. kind of... It's a very simple book to read. It's a Jeffrey Archer. You know, it's yeah. uh, it's a simple, fun thing to read. So I think that's the one I'll be pushing more. They're both kind of accompaniments. But please buy them both. They're both yeah. available on Amazon. <laughs> so let me ask you then, if you could just, without giving away any key plot structures or anything, can you tell us what are the shows about that we can expect to see in Edinburgh? Yeah, so observational. It's, um, it's about me uh, doing my back-in and being in agony and going to see a personal trainer and this personal trainer really changing my life my uh my uh my whole life my whole way of looking at the world um yeah. so that's what that one is about mm -hmm. and um the thing with observational i love doing it i i never thought i'd do a show like again like, I've never done it for a full run in Edinburgh. So I did it in 2019 for a mini run, 2020 for one show. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm bringing it back this year for the first time for a full run. And I absolutely love doing the show. And mm. you know why I love doing it. And um, yeah. it's uh, you just, and it's chance. It's uh, You make your own luck by working for 10 years on comedy. But then an idea comes to you and you go, oh, that's good. And then yeah. you realize, you know, I can, you know, you can, you can, you're allowed to say this after 10 years, you know, because you've done some <laughs> shows that aren't so good. This one is great, <laughs> you know, and um, um, yeah, so, so that's that one. Yeah. Um, Hot Tub God is um, my best friend was getting married, but it was his third wedding. Mm -hmm. And he asked me to do a best man speech. And I thought, yeah. what can I say in this best man speech that is uplifting, but in any way truthful? <laughs> 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 so then I'm talking about what's going on in my life, generally in my comedy shows and what's going on in the world. And I thought, oh, my God, the world is so horrible right now. Again, what can I say about the state of the world that is truthful, but mm. in any way uplifting so these two strands come together where a couple of weeks before the wedding i go away on a little holiday mm -hmm. to a hut in the middle of a field uh, to write this speech and i really want to find something that is uplifting and truthful yeah. and there's a hot tub outside this hut in the middle of a field and something happens in that hot tub mark that is, uh, honestly, 100% true again. All my shows are um, with tweaks. Um, something happens <laughs> that is a bit of a miracle. And without giving too much away, it involves a prominent member of parliament. <laughs> <laughs> and I haven't, I don't think I've said that, the member of parliament thing before in a lot of, uh, because I, I thought I'd keep that back. But actually, I should have said that. That would have... That would have got me more press, maybe, but because um, I can't give the game away, I just have to. Um, yeah. I'll, I'll keep it to that. But um, yeah, again, it's talking about the state of the world. It's trying to. This is the bar I set myself with this. I thought, how can I look at other people doing shows about various things, and I'm like, yeah, yeah. maybe I should have done that. But when I was planning my show, I was thinking, how can I talk about anything? 
but the world is fucked. <laughs> <laughs> so I have to talk about that. But again, I want to make it uplifting. That's why we go to see comedy, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. 100%. I love that. Um, and where and when can we see the shows? So Observational is 5.15. Yeah. I have to stress PM. Sometimes people say, <laughs> they say one o'clock and they go, oh, I'll be along to that. I'll have my lunch. And they go, oh, no, 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 no. One o'clock in the morning. Um, 5.15 a.m. Um, in the Pleasant Glasgow. Um, no, it's 5.15 p.m. Yeah. 17.15 at the Three Sisters. Um, mm-hmm. And the other show, Hot Top God, is 12.30 PM, that is midday 30. Yep. And that is at City Cafe um, in a room that resembles a hot tub. That's the only <laughs> clue I'm giving to the immersive experience that you're going to get. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing you there. Um, can you tell me then how would it be that you could summarize comedy and what it means to you in a nutshell? Oh, wow. There's no pre-warnings on these questions. God, you're challenging us. Um, <laughs> comedy is, as I said at the top, really, the, mm. the, the, the purest way of seeing someone, seeing what is inside them and getting it across to you and it going mm. inside to you and getting a reaction. It's absolute pure. It's like talking to a friend that you love. And if you love a comedian, that's where the joy comes. It's like he's talking to me. Bang! You know, there's that instant pure reaction. And um, I love it. Yeah. And I love watching those type of comics. People like Bill Burr, just like, Bang, straight to the heart. There yeah. it is. Other art forms, I love loads of other art forms, theatre, and um, and they can move you in totally different ways than stand-up comedy. But it's yeah. about that purity of nothing is changing. There's no music. There's no dancing girls. There's no... <laughs> it's not written down. It's pure. It's uh, hitting you and um, the reaction. And... Yeah. Um, and it's uh, that's why I love it so much. Well, thank you very much for being on the show. It's been a fantastic chat with you today, and I really appreciate it. Thank you, and thank you again for your kind words after the show uh, that uh, that you saw. It really, really does mean a lot, and uh, that's why I'm begging everyone that sees the show, even if they've hated it, to say <laughs> the kind of things that you did, because that's what keeps us going as comics. <laughs> fantastic. Thanks very much, man. Cheers. Cheers.